Open up our ears, our minds, our hearts and our eyes. So that, Lord, you can effectually work in our lives for the praise and glory of your great name. God, we are not here to celebrate one solitary Sunday. But we are here, Lord, to celebrate what you are doing for eternity. I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning. That your people would not hear me or see me. But they would hear you and see you. And that you alone would receive all of the praise and glory and honor. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, we do once again want to thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day. We will continue our exposition of the Gospel of John uh, next week. For obvious reasons, we are going to take a slightly different approach to our time in God's Word today. Because today, all over and across the world, people are gathering from every nation, tribe, and tongue for the purpose of celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And you are among them. With that in mind, uh, I'd like to ask you a few simple and poignant questions this morning before we begin or as we begin. Question number one. Why are you here? For what reason have you come to this place on this specific day? What is it that has caused you to to rise early, some of you, from your slumber, to wash, groom, and handsomely clothe yourselves. What it is that has caused you to come this morning? What are you seeking? And since this is a day that is nationally and globally celebrated, what, if anything, what are you celebrating? How are you celebrating whatever it is that you are celebrating this morning? What is it? And how are you celebrating? These may seem like questions that that have an obvious answer. But are the answers really that obvious? One may say, well, it is obvious. I've come to celebrate what everyone else is celebrating on this day, to celebrate the resurrection. Oh, is that why you've come? So then I'd like to ask you another question. If you would allow me to probe just a little bit deeper this morning. What does it even mean? Here's another one for you. What does it even matter? And if you would mind, if you wouldn't mind me going just a little bit further. What has it even changed? Have you ever pondered the thought? Yes, there are many who are assembling this morning for the purpose of celebrating a resurrection, but Why does the resurrection of Christ even matter? And for those who say they are celebrating the resurrection, in what way have you been changed that has caused you to celebrate in whatever way that you are celebrating? How are you celebrating? I say to you and to all those who have assembled this morning for the purpose of celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that you do so not once a year but multiple times a day. The one who has been transformed by the effectual work of the Spirit has this truth ever before his mind and his heart, 
And this glorious truth that Christ has been raised from the dead tells you that because Christ lives, I too shall live. Have you and has your heart been so captured by God the Holy Spirit? Does your soul long daily to delight and declare the wonder-working power of God displayed in the raising up of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead? Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, if that is not the heartbeat of your life, then I say to you that you do not know yet what it means to live. Because when your heart has been captured, no, rescued by holy God, then the resurrection does not just change your plans for one solitary Sunday, but the resurrection causes you to lay your life at the feet of the foot of the cross and say, have your way with me. This is the power of the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear ones, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection has the power to turn the heart of a murderous persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ into a powerful tool for the preaching and proclaiming of the resurrection and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, you know that I am referring to the Apostle Paul. So radically transformed was Paul that he would not only say, but live the words that he, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said and wrote to the Galatians in 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, what would cause a man whom the book of Acts described as one who breathed threats and murder against the, the disciples of the Lord and his church? What would cause him to utter words of such abandonment of life? It occurred while Paul was traveling to Damascus for the purpose of arresting anyone who belonged to the way, which is what the first Christians were called, those of the way. This morning, we are going to focus on just two texts, one in Acts and one in First Corinthians. If you would stand with me this morning for the book, for the reading in the book of Acts chapter 9, we are going to look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul and then see what changed in his life. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. But the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate 
nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And he said, And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who come who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he or has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose, was baptized, taking food. He was strengthened. This is God's word. All who have ears to hear are blessed to hear it. May be seated this morning. From this encounter with the risen Lord, Paul was brought by the grace of God to repent of his sins and place his faith in Christ Jesus for his salvation. Prior to this, a man prior to seeing the, descri- the, the risen Lord, Paul described himself as one who believed that he was alive. Think about that. Before encountering the risen Lord Jesus Christ, Paul believed that he was alive. There are some of you this morning who are sitting in this place and you believe that you are alive. But you, like Paul prior to an encounter with Christ, are just like Paul. Though you think you live, you are dead. Why did Paul believe that he was alive? A man who was raised as a Jew. A man who believed that he could earn right standing before God through perfect obedience to the law. Why did Paul think that he was alive? It was because he believed that he was obeying God perfectly. He believed that one could look at him, one could look at Paul and see that externally he was obeying all the commands of God and that there was, there were no flaws in him. Paul was not too far off from the truth concerning his external obedience to the law of God. We are commanded by God to obey all of the commands of God. If God has said it, we are required to obey it. All of the Old Testament of God has promised that those who obey his commands and his precepts, that they will live, be exalted and be blessed. Why did Paul believe that he was alive prior to his encounter with the risen Lord? As he describes in Philippians chapter three, verse five, that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. 
and as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And concerning Paul's obedience of the law, he refers to himself as being blameless, blameless, flawless, without fault. Concerning all of the external commands of God, Paul was the model example of what it meant to follow the law. But there was one flaw that Paul overlooked in his assumption of his own blamelessness before God. There was one law that, that Paul himself overlooked. There was one fault that, that Paul failed to, to understand concerning himself. And it was the same thing that the rich young ruler failed to understand until it was revealed to him by our Lord. That although he may have kept the external commands from his youth, he and every single person who has ever lived, save Christ Jesus alone, have failed to keep the internal commands of our heart. Meaning this, that every single one of us are guilty, maybe not externally, but we are guilty in our hearts and in our minds of disobeying the law and commands of God. There is no one who stands before God righteous. No, not one. When Paul was confronted by the risen Lord purely on the basis of grace, he for the first time discovered what every elect sheep of Christ's flock discovers. That we are wretched, pitiable, and poor people who are desperately in need of the grace of God to save us from our sins. Our sins, although they be rooted in Adam, nevertheless have continued in our hearts and in our actions every single day. So we not only look to Adam as our federal head of sin, but we, we who have been called by the grace of God, fall face down before holy God. And we acknowledge and confess that we are no better than Adam. Prior to being confronted by the risen Lord, Paul believed that he was alive. That his obedience to the law was earning his own righteous standing before God. But when Paul was confronted by the risen Lord on that dusty Damascus road, he for the first time realized in his life. And it was only by the grace of God. He for the first time realized that he was a dead man. Not alive as he assumed but dead. He described in Romans chapter 7, when the law came, that is when a true understanding of the law, the heart of the law came, sin became alive. And when sin became alive, Paul for the first time in his life understood that he was dead. It was not until he realized that he was dead for the first time that he knew what it was to truly be alive. It was not until Paul understood for the first time that he was dead that he began to understand for the first time what it truly meant to be alive. That his life was no longer his own, but that his life was now found, lost, and hidden, as it were, in Christ. Therefore, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live this is the words of a man who's now realized that he was dead and now in Christ is alive. But Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. What would cause a man to utter such words of 
complete abandonment of life. Coming face to face with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Who died and is alive forevermore. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ changes everything. And how can one encounter with, how can one have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and remain the same? How is it possible? I say to you, brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, it is impossible. It is impossible to be confronted, to be confronted by Christ, to be effectually called by the Spirit, to be irresistibly drawn by the Spirit. And remain the same. It is impossible. For one to say I know Christ. And yet you still live. The same. As you did before you met Christ. It is categorically. Impossible. Paul is our example of that. Peter is our example of that. It is not the work of the Holy Spirit to call people and leave them in the same condition that they were before he called them or to call them and allow them to progressively get worse in their so-called profession of faith. No, and may it never be. When one is confronted with the risen Lord Jesus Christ, they are confronted with their sins. They are blessed to know by knowing that Christ has come to save them. That, they, that he has also saved them from their sins. And they are sanctified unto holy living before a holy God. I know this question that I'm going to ask today may seem ridiculous. And it may cause you to think for a moment. Is this why I've come to be questioned over and over again? But what if there was no resurrection? What if Christ was not raised. The question seems ridiculous, but it is not so ridiculous because there are those who are sitting in this church today who either do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ or for all of their profession of faith cannot defend the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man has not changed very much since the days of Paul. The same doubts and disbeliefs were, were present in the days of Paul. There were many in that day that were diametrically opposed to the idea that someone could rise bodily from the dead. To Paul's amazement, these doubters, these unbelievers were found, think about this, out of all places in the church. There were so-called Christians in the church of Corinth. Who affirmed that Christ had been raised but denied that they would one day also be raised. Paul addresses their doubts in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. Let's turn there. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead. Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, 
For if the dead are not raised, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and your sin, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. What if there was no resurrection of Christ from the dead? Very simply, very briefly, if there is no resurrection from the dead, or if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, our gathering... Our missions, our evangelism, our discipleship, our giving, our worship, and the list goes on. All of these things are in vain and they are useless, meaningless. Which means your faith is useless, meaningless. And we who preach Christ are no more than peddlers of fairy tales. And this story of the resurrection would be the wildest one to come out of our imagination. If man could ever imagine such a thing. If Christ has not been raised... But also, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then all of humanity, every man who has ever lived, save the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe even the Lord Jesus Christ. We would all be under and in preparation to suffer the wrath of God, which would soon be coming to all of our lives if Christ has not been raised. And this... Every single person who has ever lived is also in hell. If Christ has not been raised. That is, if Christ has not been raised. Can you, can you feel the, the, the weight of all of those awful points if Christ has not been raised? Then this is all useless. Then we are liars. Then you are going to hell and every single person that you have ever known. Although every single person, every funeral that you've ever been to, every person is going to heaven. They have all gone to hell if Christ has not been raised. The assumption is every single funeral that you go to, every person is going to heaven. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors right now across this entire world. There are people who are living, walking and will ultimately die with those points as the reality of their life and the consequences. Something that they will soon suffer because of their lack of belief in the resurrection. Some of them might be sitting here this morning. To them, the gospel is foolishness. To them, preachers are liars. To them, Christ has not been raised. And because of their willful rejection of Christ, they will remain in their sin. If they do not repent of their sin, trust in Christ alone for their salvation, they will suffer the wrath of God and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Because at the root of it, they have rejected the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. One may be sitting here this morning and say, I thought so-called Resurrection Sunday was supposed to be a glorious time. This sounds nothing like 
glory. This sounds like bad news. And indeed, it is bad news. And if I were to close this time, shut my computer and say, have a great day. Then we would be people that would have no gospel. But bless God, there is good news. That indeed Christ has been raised from the dead. And it is in the resurrection of Christ that we find the heart of the gospel. That God accepted the sacrificial death of Christ on behalf of sinners by not letting His Holy One see decay, by rising Him from the dead. And in so doing so, He conquered sin, conquered death, and conquered the grave. As Paul described, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. And as Peter said, through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him so that your faith and hope may be in God. And Paul, once again, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For death, the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Brothers and sisters, I have just four short points for you this morning in closing. The resurrection of Christ is inseparable from the gospel of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is inseparable from the gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Brothers and sisters, what was the gospel that Paul first received? It was this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he, just like he said, was raised on the third day. That was the gospel that Paul first believed and received. And there is no gospel apart from the resurrection of Christ. And I include myself in this folly. We make the mistake of a huge emphasis of of bringing out the death of Christ, but downplaying or even ignoring the resurrection of Christ. Dear friends, the death of Christ is a solemn occasion. One that should cause us to lament over our sin. For it is because of our sin that God sent his son to the cross. But the resurrection of Christ is what gives us an occasion, a great reason for celebrating that death was swallowed up in victory. The victory that Christ won through the resurrection of the dead. Let us not say when sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's an incomplete story. If you say to someone, how do you know that you're saved? And they say, well, because Jesus died for my sins. I might ask them, is that all? 
Because that is not and never will be the end of the story. Brothers and sisters, there is no glory per se in death. Oh, there is glory in the fact that he died for us. But we glory in the death because the death would soon produce a resurrection that conquered that death. That is why we celebrate. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating sin. And if you and I would only trust in him for our salvation, we will be saved. The resurrection is inseparable from the gospel. There is no gospel without the resurrection, which leads us to our second point. The resurrection of Christ is, listen to this, the fuel that ignites our preaching of the gospel. The resurrection of, of Christ is the fuel that ignites our preaching of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, what would this sermon be if Christ had never risen from the dead? You may not think much of it right now, but I say to you that this sermon, Every other sermon that is preached today and every sermon that has ever been preached will amount to nothing. And they are meaningless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But what was the fuel that ignited Paul to make three missionary journeys from Asia to Asia Minor? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the fuel that ignited Thomas to preach, to travel to India and to preach the gospel to native Indians there? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the fuel that ignited Polycarp to stand before a council and refuse to deny Christ? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. What was the fuel that caused Athanasius to hold up the word of God and stand against the world, as it were, in defense of the Trinity? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the fuel that ignited John Wycliffe to translate the word of God into languages that people could understand? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that caused, what was the fuel that ignited John Huss, Martin Luther, and John Calvin to stand against Rome for justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, through the glory of God alone, taught by the scriptures alone. It was the, the fuel, was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What was the fuel that ignited the preaching of John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, and Charles Spurgeon? I say to you, it was the fuel Of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the same fuel that is igniting this sermon this morning by the grace of God. It is the same fuel that causes you to rise every single morning. And and to war against the flesh, the world and the devil. It is because Christ has been raised. That you war against these factors. These enemies. Because Christ has been raised. What is your motivation to go and preach the gospel? What would cause 12 men who to go from running and hiding from the authorities that captured Christ to running to those authorities in boldness and proclaiming as Peter did, you put the Holy One of God to death. You asked for a murderer. You put to death the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. 
What would cause such boldness? What would cause such fire? Being confronted with the risen Lord Jesus Christ turns these cowards into lions. So, it is with you who have come to trust in Christ. For those who have not who come to trust in Christ, you can't wait for me to shut up. For those who have come to Christ, you want me to stop so that you could go preach. Let us not run and hide from sharing our faith, but let us with every fiber in our being boldly declare the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. We can be so consumed with insignificant temporal concerns of this world and let the only real reason for living pass us by to preach Christ, him crucified and raised from the dead. Today you will join with your families. And I pray, God, please, that this sermon be not far from your minds. Because they will, life will, remind you of all of the things that don't matter. When the attention that you have right now on the subject that you have right now is ultimately the only thing that matters. Three, repentance and faith in the life, death, and the resurrection of Christ saves. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen. For if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, you're, and you are still in your sins. Brothers and sisters, I have another question for you. How are you saved? You may say by faith. What I'm going to say to you this morning may alarm you, but listen closely to what I say. Faith does not save you. Faith is not some entity that has the ability on its own to do anything for you. Let faith stand alone. And what will it do for you? Let faith stand alone. And what will faith do for you? Nothing. Unless it is properly directed, it can do nothing for you. So then, you may say, well, of course, faith in Christ. But I may ask you this. What about him? What do you have faith in him for? The most common answer, again, is he died for my sins. And that's not wrong. But once again, it is, it is simply incomplete. Do you not understand that you are also trusting in the resurrection of Christ? Not just a death, but a life. And before there was death, there was life. And before there was a life, there was a life. Meaning Christ, before he came into flesh, perfectly dwelled within the Father, or within the Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and there was no need or want in Him. You must believe that He is eternally God. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is eternal God, then you will not be saved. You must also believe that He came as God in the flesh, that He was both God and man, fully God and fully man. If you don't believe that, then you will die in your sins. Yes. 
you must also believe that the life that he lived in the flesh, he lived in perfect obedience to the law of God. That he lived the life that you and I could never live. That he did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and that is perfectly please and obey God. If you don't believe that Christ never sinned, you will die in your sins. Then Christ offered up himself as a sacrificial propitiation on behalf of an elect people that would trust and believe that he is God. God in the flesh lived the perfect life and that his death was died in our place. And if friends, if you don't believe that. That there is something that you can do in order to please God and earn a righteousness before God. Other than the life, life and death of Christ. And you also will die in your sin. Those who are saved trust that Christ has taken the cup of wrath for their sake. So that he might save them from their sins. And not only did he die, but friends, he rose from the dead. And in rising, he made a public display of the glory and power of God as he defeated death and death was swallowed up in the victory of the resurrection. And friends, if you don't believe that Christ rose, then you will die in your sins. So what has saved you? How are you saved? I am saved because I believe that Jesus Christ is eternally God who came to this earth. In the form of a man, lived the perfect life that I could not live, died the death that I deserve, and then rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave in my place. So I place my faith in him, and I repent of the sin that I know I inherited from Adam. And I live a life now because I have been filled with the Holy Spirit to glorify and honor God. Friends, if that is your confession, then you are saved. If that is not your confession, then I urge you, I implore you this morning, trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And last but not least, the resurrection of Christ is the basis for our future hope. First Corinthians 15, 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ We hope only in this life we are the most pitied people in all of the world. Brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, what will you say to your loved one when they are lying on their deathbed and it is time for them to leave this earth? What encouragement will you give them? What will we say When our loved ones unexpectedly have gone to the grave. We can say nothing to those who are dead. But what do we say to those who are still alive? Those who despair. Those who cry and weep without ceasing. Oh, death is a sad occasion indeed. But what hope will you give them in the midst of that sad occasion? Will you weep with them and cry with them and mourn as if there is no hope? If you mourn like that, if you weep like that, then you are among those who have no hope. 
of life beyond this life. Your weeping, your mourning should be for those who have died apart from this hope. And that should be the fuel to send you to every single friend and family member that you know saying, don't be like him. Don't be like her. They did not trust in Christ. And someone may say, well, you did not know their heart. Stop it. Stop it. Be honest. We know what a true believer is and we know what a true believer is not. And we, the church, need to take the authority that God has given us in Matthew chapter 18 and declare if someone is saved, then they are saved. If they are not, then they are not. Don't give someone false hope. Let them see the results of not trusting in Christ and that there is an eternal separation from God if you do not do so. Don't turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. Lest the same be done to you. When people die, what hope will you give them? What hope is found? When my father died, the patriarch of our family, what caused his children to rise the next day and go to work? What caused his children to prepare a sermon for that Sunday on salvation? It was this, that my hope is not in my dad. My hope is in Christ. And because my hope is in Christ, I have a promise that my father lives because he has been raised with Christ. Let us allow Paul to encourage us at this time as we close. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. For we know, for for now we know that if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. No longer does death hold him, but he has dominion or have dominion over him. For death, he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Is that who you are this morning? Dead to the old man, alive in Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is your hope beyond the grave? Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors. Your hope is that Christ has been raised. And without the resurrection of Christ, you have no hope. Thank God that the tomb was empty. Thank God that he not only appeared to those first few women and then to Peter, then to the other disciples. And thank God that not only Thomas said, Thomas said, I don't believe, I won't believe until I can touch him. And then Jesus says, touch here. See here. 
Thomas falls on his face and says, my Lord and my God. Not only did he appear to them, but then he appears to 500. And lastly, to Paul the Apostle and says, and yes, you, Paul, I will use you to go and reach some Mexicans and some Filipinos and some whatever else on the east side of Bakersfield. You will be an evangelist to the Gentiles, which we are. But we have been made by faith. Spiritual Jews, God's chosen people. Let this then not be a day in which you celebrate bunnies, colored eggs, food and family, although they are a great blessing of God. But rather let this be a day that is celebrated like any true believer celebrates each day. Praising, glorifying God. For raising Christ from the dead to conquer our sin and our shame. That we may live with him and reign with him forever to the glory of God. We celebrate that work. Not only today, but every day. Let us stand.